It has now been a month since Virginia Governor Ralph Northam declared a state of emergency to slow the spread of the novel coronavirus. It has been almost 30 days since students attended class in person, and thousands and thousands of people have not worked for a few weeks. Our strategy is clear. Fix the health crisis first, then the economic crisis. It may not seem like it, but we're still in the early days of how the COVID-19 pandemic will affect Virginia. The state is making a priority of long-term care facilities. The task force will help ensure that we're coordinating with our facilities to get them the help and the supplies and information they need. There's still a lot to work out, and we know you'll have questions. It's April 13th, 2020, and on this installment of the Charlottesville Quarantine Report, we recap the most recent briefing from Northam and his administration and take a listen to a recent town hall held by the Thomas Jefferson Health District. It's been four weeks now since students were at Buford Middle School or any other public school in Virginia. I don't know about other schools, but the bells at Buford, they're still ringing. If the pandemic was not happening, Charlottesville City Schools would just be getting back from spring break today. Instead, the city school system will begin phase three of their continuity of learning program with new lessons beginning today. A new video was sent to parents and guardians Sunday evening that is a reminder that this is not a normal school year. We all know in school, two ideas sometimes get mixed up, grades and learning. We worry about grades, but it's the learning that really matters. This spring, we have enough to worry about, so we are not going to worry about grades in Charlottesville City Schools. We are going to keep things simple with a system similar to pass-fail. We'll call it a or incomplete. This is a year in which high school seniors across the entire country won't graduate. You're probably seeing people posting pictures of themselves in their own senior high school portraits in solidarity. But the sudden end of a school year also creates problems for juniors who don't yet know their plans for after high school. For juniors who have questions about what this means for their college applications, know that as we made this decision, we talked with top universities Our letters of recommendation focus on student strengths, not grades. You have always shown us your strengths, and you can do that this spring, too. School isn't just for learning. In normal times, the school system provides meals to those who might not necessarily have enough to eat at home, and there have been efforts to continue that with deliveries of food to prearranged locations. To find out more about pickup points for this week, take a look at the show notes. A month into this, and there is still so much that is uncertain for all of us. We'll hear all about that over the course of this show. But we're on the way forward, learning new ways to go about our lives. Phase 3 of the Continuity Learning Plan begins now. As we teach new material online, we will focus on helping students keep and grow their skills, maintain their relationships with friends, teachers, and schools, and add to their overall well-being. Students... Invest in your learning now, so you'll be prepared for next year. There's still a lot to work out, and we know you'll have questions. Even we have questions. Even the state has questions. And we have questions of the state, and we'll hear some more answers as our class begins today. And as soon as it does, we'll update you on the numbers. The number of cases of COVID-19 in the Commonwealth jumped sharply over the weekend, from 4,509 reported on Friday morning to 5,747 cases reported this morning by the Virginia Department of Health. 
the number of deaths has increased to 149. The first fatality in Virginia was reported on March 16th. That was five days after the World Health Organization declared a global pandemic on March 11th. The next day, Governor Ralph Northam declared a state of emergency. But what we're really dealing with here is several emergencies all at once, and they generally divide into two groups. Northam's message has been consistent for the past month. Our strategy is clear. Fix the health crisis first, then the economic crisis. Epidemiological models continue to predict an increase in the number of cases and the number of hospitalizations, and unfortunately, the number of deaths. One identified need is personnel, and for the past four weeks, Northam has put out the call for additional medical workers. Our Volunteer Medical Reserve Corps now has 13,000 people signed up to volunteer. About half of those people have medical training. We will work with our colleges and medical schools to reach out to students, especially those who are enrolled in health and medical degree programs. Northam also said the Corps is looking for people who want experience working in intensive care units or operating a ventilator. Nurses and nursing students are also wanted. As a doctor myself, I know that nurses are the lifeblood of any medical setting. This medical volunteer program also needs other people who can handle logistics, communications, and other areas to help keep the hospitals and other healthcare facilities functioning. We welcome everyone who can help. This is a chance for Virginians to come together and do good for our community. To volunteer, please visit vamrc.org. I'll repeat that. Please visit vamrc.org. And on behalf of Virginia, we thank you. Since the beginning of this pandemic, many people have been asking for the state to release people in state prisons run by the Department of Corrections, or DOC. We've heard some about this on this program in the recent past. On Friday, Northam announced a budget amendment that would free people who have less than a year remaining on their sentence, provided that they're not a threat to society. This will require action by the General Assembly when they meet again on April 22nd. The House of Delegates plans to meet outside. The Senate will meet at the Virginia Science Museum. Between now and then, DOC would do the work of planning how these individuals may safely be released. Reentry planning typically happens over the course of months. We're asking our DOC to do that in a matter of weeks. Reentry planning includes ensuring the released person has somewhere to go and has the medications they need for three months. When would this take effect and how many people would it affect? Brian Moran is Virginia's public safety secretary. It would become effective immediately, and it would last for the duration of the governor's executive order. And it would apply to approximately uh, just less than 2,000 inmates that have one year uh, or less remaining on their sentence. But some advocates say that more needs to be done. The head of the Virginia chapter of the Americans with Civil Liberties Union and other advocates have called for Northam to use his clemency powers to move the process along faster. Another crisis. Yet another is the growing number of people who are out of work. More than 114,000 Virginians had filed for unemployment insurance by the end of March. That number is expected to grow. For now, people are getting payments from the state. Last week alone, the Virginia Employment Commission 
has issued more than 191,000 payments, totaling more than $57 million. Next week, we will launch the Federal Pandemic Unemployment Assistance Program, which will boost weekly payments to those who have filed for unemployment. This is an additional $600 a week, which should be a great help to folks trying to figure out how to pay the rent or buy food. This program allows us to provide unemployment assistance to people who didn't previously qualify, such as gig workers, temporary workers, and self-employed people. One aspect of the public health crisis is that there are still many people who are not following protocol. There are some calling for the economy to be reopened. That would likely increase the number of cases, throwing new data into the epidemiological models behind this response to the pandemic. Northam said that easing social distancing measures now would endanger lives. Now, I've had some folks call me and say, Ralph, we see that the curves are flattening. Isn't it time to ease the restrictions? And that is absolutely the wrong thing to do right now. Let's reinforce that point by learning a little more about COVID-19. This is perhaps the most important thing to keep in mind. A large number of people who have COVID-19 either have very mild symptoms or they don't have any symptoms at all. And this has really led to a couple of the safety measures um, that we've put in place. That's Dr. Denise Bonds, the director of the Thomas Jefferson Health District. She appeared at a town hall Friday afternoon with other officials to answer questions. We're all wondering how long this is going to take, and we would all do well to listen. The Thomas Jefferson Health District is the public agency responsible for overseeing the public health response. In the near future, that's going to mean greater public awareness of the term contact tracing. So in the health department, uh, we get cases that are reported to us, and we will spend time talking to that individual, figuring out where they've been to, and then conducting a case investigation, which will include contacting all of their contacts. Um, uh, Simultaneously with that, we'll also work with the community uh, and individuals uh, in prominent positions to institute safety measures um, that will reduce the spread of disease. In the weeks to come, some of us may be contacted by the health department because we may have been in contact with someone with a confirmed case of COVID-19. Let's hear some more about this process. Catherine Goodman is communications director for the Thomas Jefferson Health District, and here she asks Dr. Bonds a question. All right, so here we have a great question. This is from an anonymous attendee. It says, is the community responding well to case investigations and contact tracing? How can we all encourage very forthcoming and helpful responses to case investigations and contract tracing, especially since it appears that very thorough investigations, uh, tracing and isolation and quarantine will be required to begin to, quote unquote, restart the, the economy and other social activities like opening up schools and businesses? So a great question. And I have to say that the community has actually been really forthright um, when we call them. We have a team of trained investigators at the health department. Um, We'll add more investigators as the number of cases increase. And so far, when they're uh, contacting individuals, people have been um, very generous with the information. And I really encourage the public to share that information with my staff calls. It's important that we get a full accounting of where you've been for the 
time period that the case investigator decides is pertinent and that you share as much information as you can about people that you are in contact with. That allows us to get in contact with those individuals, to talk to them about their risk and whether or not they should go into a self-imposed quarantine at that point in time. The town hall also offered the chance for people to hear from Dr. Kosti Safri, a UVA infectious disease expert. He explained how COVID-19 affects the body. This is all something we all want to try to avoid. The virus that um, causes um, COVID-19 is um, a a novel coronavirus, I think is probably most people understand, um, called SARS-CoV-2. The way that it causes illness um, is through the respiratory tract, um, and it causes a viral pneumonia. Pneumonia, I think, as everybody knows, is infection of um, lung tissue, and um, when you have infection of lung tissue, it essentially that inflammation, that area of infection, um, um, impedes the ability of lungs to function, to uh, exchange gas, to intake oxygen, and to um, release carbon dioxide. Um, um, there is also concern that um, perhaps as a consequence of infection, you actually lead, um, develop um, in a, a cascade of uh, inflammatory products that um, further exacerbates that that problem. And so, um, as you can see, uh, this is um, uh, the, the the area of damage is the lung, and the novel thing about um, this novel coronavirus is that we do not have existing, uh, pre-existing immunity to it. So it's something that our immune system has not seen before. Unfortunately, in Virginia, the disease has tended to spread in one type of facility where social distancing is difficult, long-term care facilities. As of Friday, April 10th, 45 of the 82 outbreaks in Virginia were in long-term care facilities. An outbreak is when there are two or more cases in the same location. 10% of the overall cases in Virginia as of Friday were people in long-term care facilities, and they made up a quarter of Friday's death toll of 121. We'll know more about this today when the Virginia Department of Health posts their weekly report. To address the issue, Northam has put Dr. Lori Forlano in charge of a task force to focus on long-term care facilities. In her remarks on Friday, Forlano acknowledged that the Commonwealth needs to do more to help residents and employees at long-term care facilities. Residents that live in these facilities are often among the most vulnerable to the virus due to their age or health conditions they might have. And on top of that, social distancing is uh, pretty difficult to achieve in a congregate care living situation or facility. And we also know that staff that work in these facilities often work in multiple facilities. And I, I do want to take a note to just acknowledge those staff and the healthcare providers that work in those facilities. Even on the best of days, they provide compassionate care to the people we love the most, our parents, our grandparents. And right now they're doing that under incredibly challenging circumstances. The task force will seek to connect long-term care facilities with the resources that they need, both in terms of funding and in terms of protective equipment. We also want to ensure open communication between our local health departments and these facilities in a given area. The task force that I'll be honored to work with are also committed to ensuring that facilities and the public have the most up-to-date information possible. This includes data on the proportion of facilities that have had a positive case among residents or staff, And sadly, we will also be providing data on deaths in long-term care facilities. As of today, Virginia has tested only over 40,000 people. That's a small percentage of our population of 8.5 million. 
there has been a strict protocol about who gets a test because state and private labs can only process so many kits in a day. There is also a priority for healthcare workers and those associated with long-term care facilities. Virginia Secretary of Health Dan Carey admits that there is room for improvement. We need to develop testing capacity greater than we have now. There's a national shortage. It's not that we don't want to test more people. It's that we're having trouble testing our folks in our nursing homes adequately, in our hospitals who are uh, have, could have COVID-19, but are persons under investigation. And the delay in testing to results is far too long. So yes, as we develop more testing capacity, we will want to reach out into the community, uh, reach out into uh, uh, detection from a public health perspective, do surveillance and develop a real model of this disease. We do test about 2,500 to 4,000. Those are the numbers of results we get each day. This week, as with every other week so far, we'll watch to see if those numbers go up. Every day we wait for new information to tell us if we are on the right path towards flattening the curve. It's hard to discern a full picture yet of what these times will be. Northam said he will be realistic with Virginians. We're on quarantine for a while longer, and there are no plans to adjust the end of the stay-at-home order, which is currently scheduled for June 10th. I'm looking at the, the number of individuals that are in our nursing home right now that are, uh, their health is at risk. I'm looking at the number of admissions to our hospitals, the, the, especially the number of ICU admissions. I'm looking at the number of these COVID-19 patients that are now on a, in a, on a ventilator. And so um, while I would like to be aspirational and I, I would all, always want to provide people hope um, because I will tell you that once you take someone's hope away, you have taken away their will to live. And so, so I'm a big believer in hope, but I'm also a big believer uh, in telling the truth in letting people know what we're up against. That, uh, this is a biological war that we're fighting here in this country, and we need to take it seriously. And we need to, as best we can, use the science and the data. For the past week or so, we've been told that the University of Virginia is working on a model specific to the Commonwealth. On Friday, we were told we had to wait a little while longer. Northam said it is important to look at multiple models. We uh, watch the data. Uh, every day. This has been such a, a dynamic process. Um, and there are a number of models that we follow. And I think you all will be interested to, to see the contrast uh, of those models and, and the challenges with looking at this particular model or, or another model. And so what we would like to do is, is bring in the data specialist with those models on Monday um, and have those available for the press so that we can allow you to see what we see and also to be able to ask questions to the, to the data experts. And I want to give all Virginians hope that, that we're going to get through this together. What we, what you are doing uh, out there across the Commonwealth uh, is working right now. You're listening to the Charlottesville Quarantine Report for April 13th, 2020. Do you need help of any kind? Do you have resources that you can contribute? If you said yes to either question, one place to go to look to help or get help is supportseville.com. In the past month, this collaborative effort between Charlottesville community leaders and Willow Tree has helped a lot of people. Visit supportseville.com today.
Do you have a story that you want to tell? There are so many different angles that I've not had any time to pursue on this show. You can help me fill in the gaps. I'm working on one story for this week that's come about because someone sent me an email to wordcast at gmail.com. Help me document this time by adding your voice. Send an email to wordcast at gmail.com. Let's close out the show by hearing more from that town hall that the Thomas Jefferson Health District put on the other day. As of Friday, there were 124 cases in the district, including 48 in Albemarle and 31 in Charlottesville. Those numbers are most certainly out of date by the time that you hear this, but it's important to document them, counting up, as we move closer to the surge. Earlier in the year, former earlier this year, former Charlottesville Police Chief Tim Longo was named as the Associate Vice President for Safety and Security at the University of Virginia, and the UVA Police Chief, too. At the town hall, he explained that UVA began considering the pandemic as a potential possibility in January. It was late in January, we stood up a sub-critical incident management team, which is the vast resources across university grounds and senior leadership, talk about how do we confront this. And as the spring break began to get closer, some tough decisions were made at the very highest levels of the university to go to an online learning platform. A lot of work, a lot of energy, a lot of skill from, from some very talented people in academics uh, and technology, and then the process of having to slowly vacate grounds to where we're left with probably somewhere in the neighborhood now of 260 students on grounds, maybe some 400 graduate students uh, that we're managing every day as they work through their academic life uh, and doing our best to keep them safe. The UVA Department of Medicine has a Division of Infectious Diseases and International Health that has a long tradition in fighting potential outbreaks. Dr. Kossi Safri is an expert in immunocompromised infectious diseases and said that UVA is ready for the challenge. These um, efforts don't occur in a vacuum. They occur as a collective effort across our institutions. And, um, you know, um, we have confronted other challenges in the past um, with um, a number of things, including infectious diseases, um, pandemic influenza, um, Ebola, um, some other novel issues that have sort of tested our community um, over the last decade or so. And we're really relying on those same relationships and efforts to um, see us through these efforts. Um, You know, the coronavirus issue, um, uh, this pandemic um, is something that we've tracked here at UVA since December 31st. And um, we started um, active planning um, um, for it in early January um, as a just in case. Dr. Sifri said the health system has completely changed its operating procedures to respond to the pandemic and to be prepared. Um, That's led to the way um, um, changes to the way we see patients through telemedicine, for example, um, to some of our changes in our operations and um, the types of things that we're doing within the hospital um, and taking care of patients on a regular basis. And um, I'm sure as um, everybody's familiar with anticipating um, what could happen um, if we were to have, and I think um, we're concerned when we have a a surge of patients that have um, COVID infection in our community. One positive note is that the new hospital tower at UVA has several empty floors that will be used in the short term for COVID-19 patients. In normal times, there is an active research program at UVA that looks into infectious diseases. In these times, it is being put to work, and that's something that I think people in our community need to know 
We recognize that we are a health system that's also an, has an academic mission and uh, that we have opportunities to contribute to um, the health and well-being of our citizenry, not only here in Charlottesville and Navarro County, but really uh, in the Commonwealth and the rest of the state. So we've had very active research programs taking a look at um, very you know, fundamental basic science questions like how to develop a, a vaccine, what are the right targets, um, how to um, elicit responses in, with a vaccine that um, um, are protected from infection, um, to um, um, the testing of novel therapeutics um, for hospitalized patients. Finally on today's show, I keep talking about how I want sound from listeners and others. I asked one of my colleagues at the Piedmont Environmental Council to test out one of the ways we can make this happen. We were texting earlier this month, and I asked him to record something just by talking into his phone's voice recorder. All he had to do was share the audio file in an email, and here we are. Or rather, here he is, enjoying outdoor recreational activity. Hey everybody, this is Chris Hawk with the Piedmont Environmental Council. It is Sunday evening around 6 o'clock first weekend in April. I'm out here walking along the new stretch of the Rivanna Trail uh, just to the west of Azalea Park. It's a really neat section. The hopes are to have a paved route alongside the creek instead of um, having commuters and folks within strailer and strollers and such walk along the river on the mudded area. They plan to pave it over with a hard surface uh, for a dual purpose of protecting the utilities, the sewer system that runs along the river. Uh, They would like to have a hard path over it instead of soft dirt. So as a compromise, they built a new stretch that goes up into higher topographic areas and kind of meanders through a mixture of hardwoods and pines. It's a really neat section. A lot of great berms for mountain biking, a lot of good grade changes, and you should come check it out. Again, this is the new section of the RT. It's a little divergent stretch just west of Azalea Park. That's Chris Hawk, my colleague at the Piedmont Environmental Council. I think he was on a bike. You can send me your sound by recording yourself on your phone and sharing the audio to the email address wordcast at gmail.com. And that's it for this installment of the Charlottesville Quarantine Report. What will this week bring us? As I record this, on the morning of April 13th, parts of Virginia are on a tornado watch. Crisis upon crisis upon crisis. Stay safe. <laughs>